This Irish Man Stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Dunn. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, as always, I'm on Twitter. It's at Freedom Disciple, at Freedom Disciple. Um, hit me up and give me your comments, give me your feedback, tell you where, tell me where you think I'm wrong, where we can have a discussion. Today's going to be a show, I'm really looking forward to this show because I'm going to focus in on your language. I hope um, in the first few shows I've given you an impression that I really value good writing. Your founders were incredible people. They used small words but yet powerful. Everything had a meaning. And I get I get great comfort and great inspiration from reading the words of your founders. Not only in your Declaration of Independence, your Constitution, but also the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers. I think writing, good writing is hard to do, but when it's done right, it is so powerful. So today we're going to discuss language and education. But before we do, I want to talk to you about something that I'm really starting to get worried about when I see on social media. I'm seeing a growing number of Americans, both saying it to me and to each other, America's over. It's all over, the fight's over, we can't win. And I've addressed naysayers in my first show and I will continue to do so. But I want to take it in a different direction to start today's show. I want to take it in a direction that says, let's say those naysayers are right. That the world as we know it is over. America as we know it is over. Freedom has lost. The battle between good and evil, it's succumbed. Evil has triumphed. Does that mean the fight's over? Does that mean we give up? Does that mean we just succumb to the Leviathan and go, oh well, we tried our best and it didn't work and let's just get on with our everyday lives? You see, I think it's, personally for me, this fight is only the beginning. I'd ask you to think about some of the following that I would like to share with you. I'll start with, I'm a Christian. And I think that if this battle is over, and Christians say the end times are here, and if you read history, the people, Christians have been saying that for 2,000 years, that the second coming is here and the world is going to end as we know it. They talked about that from the minute Christ died. But let me ask you this if you're a Christian or if you believe in any type of uh, powerful being above us, a God, a Buddha, ever who it is. If it's over, what would you like your last action to be? What do you want to be your last action to be on this earth? I know my last action will not be giving up and laying down my sword. I think that is one of the most horrible things I could imagine for myself. That you had so little hope at the end. That you just threw your sword on the field and said, ah, it's pointless. The war's lost. Because I'm here to tell you 
that as long as you have that sword in your hand, you can win. I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I believe there is no earthly problem, no matter how big, that is not child's play to my God. But I also realize that there are members who listen to this show who are not Christian or who are not religious. So I'll take the analogy in a different direction. What happens when your sports team is playing? Ever who it is, baseball, football, football season starting now. Your local team plays. And it's 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Do they just go home? Do they phone it in for the other three quarters? Or would you expect them to fight? Would you expect them to go, okay, it's 28 nothing, but we still have a chance. There's still time. Or would you just like to go, ah, I'll just throw Hail Marys and it might work, but sure. It's 28 nothing, John. We can't win. Or how about when you have a bad day at work? When everything goes wrong, you lose files, you've broken something, you've said something wrong to someone and you've offended someone, you've upset a client. What do you do then? Do you just give up? Or what happens when you have a bad day in life, you have an argument with your loved one, or your kids, or you said something you shouldn't, or you lost your wallet, or your, your computer has been hacked, or your computer's broken down and every picture is on it. What happens when you have a bad day in life? Do we just give up? I don't think so. I think we fight. And I think we continue to try and turn things around. We keep our heads down. And we keep trying to become better people. Better individuals. And to inspire change. I, I believe, maybe this is just a fantasy, but going back to the sports analogy. To that team that's 28-0 down after the first quarter. It's not about whether they win or lose in the end. Sure, you look at the score. But fighting back and still losing, that builds character in my opinion. There are times I've watched teams go out and lose in the first inning or in the first quarter of a game. And yes, they still lost the game, but they came back and maybe only lost by a touchdown or a home run. That builds character in a team. That shows resolve. That's not something you dismiss. That's not something you just cast away as nothing. That's something to be respected in my opinion. You know, There's an old saying and I think it was used in Batman. By Michael Caine. Why do we fall? So we can pick ourselves back up. You know I've learned the hard way about life. Life can beat the ever-living crap out of you. And there's nothing you can do to change it. Life will beat you down time and time again. And we can huff about it and we can puff about it and we can moan about it and we can complain about it. But sometimes we got to realise that sometimes life isn't about getting, fought, getting knocked down. Sometimes life is a learning experience. And the learning experience isn't about how you were or what you were like as you fell. The learning experience 
is about getting back up. That's when real learning happens, when real education happens. Sometimes, as the old saying goes, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. I believe in that saying a lot. Hard times are horrible. I've seen a lot of misery in my life, both personally and witnessed others. And sometimes you have to realise that that battle, it's fought in the hearts and the minds. And all you can do is be that support. But it's not a hopeless battle. You can overcome things. I find it amazing today that there are so many generations who think today is over, yet forget your own history. Look at what you overcame at your founding. The Revolutionary War. You think that was easy? You think it was easy overcoming the, the Hessians, the British? The superpower of the day? But John, that was so long ago. Okay, I get that. Do you think it was over, easy coming, overcoming slavery? Where 600, 700,000 of your own countrymen fought on either side and died? Do you think it was easy been around the civil rights movement? Some wars, and this is a war that can't be won with weapons or ammunition. This can only be won in hearts and minds. And so today I'm going to talk to you about education, but words. There are words I feel that have destroyed your country. I believe... Again, another saying. Perfection isn't doing something really, really well. Perfection only comes when you do lots of little things great. We need to start focusing on the little things and changing little things and changing hearts and minds. Because today, a problem America has is anytime you talk about education education is well John Common Core is bad Common Core is horrible I agree anything to do with the federal government is generally horrible but today the bigger problem I see in education is far too many people think education is a school only job education goes a lot deeper education is you do it yourself we need to empower kids, old people and everybody in between to learn from themselves. Look at everything you can do today. The world is so complex but it's also become a lot easier. When I was growing up, and I'm only in my early 30s, if I wanted to learn something or to change something, I had to go to a library. And the library where all the nerds and all those type of people were. And then you had to go for a book and you had to go look for one book and then find another book. And eventually after loads of reading you'd find the answer to your question. Today you've google.com. You don't even have to go to the library. You can sit in the comfort of your own home. In fact today is technology so great you can sit in any place in, inside your house or outside your house and go on your little phone and google something. And you'll get all the information you want. Education is self-teaching but education goes much further 
There's a resource we have today that is unutilized and untapped in so many places. And it's arguably one of the greatest resources. Our grandparents. How many people today go to their grandparents and say, hey, what was it like in the civil rights? I see this Black Lives Matters movement today. Hey, tell me what it was like around the time of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. What did it feel like to be part of there? To live during that? To learn the history of that time? And I mean real history. I don't mean reading history and dates and numbers out of a history textbook. I mean the story, the emotions, the live person account of being there. But we also have other education resources. Our parents, our family, our friends, and your churches, and your pulpits, which today are far too quiet. People talk about the poverty of education, and I will in a future show. But we have so many resources today that we don't use that are educational. The battle for education is not in the classroom. It's in every aspect of life. I'm going to finish this segment by just touching on one part. James Harrison, the Pittsburgh Steelers, giving his kids participation trophies back. Absolutely, congratulations. We need to teach kids it's okay to fail. Today, we wrap our kids in cotton wool and say, oh look, you didn't win or you lost 10 to 0, but hey, here's a trophy. There you go, there's a participation trophy. It's nonsense. We need to let our kids fail and be there knowing that they have our love they have our support but knowing that they can turn to us at any time but that they have to overcome their little challenge they have to overcome the adversity that they face not alone but they must be over the one to overcome it they will be better for it Life doesn't give you participation trophies. I don't know a company, and I've worked for several, that said, hey, you turned up today, here's a participation trophy. Congratulations, you turned in on time. Or do you, how about the hardest job in the world, been a mother? Does your kid give you a participation trophy? Hey, mum, you're a great mum today. Thanks for washing my clothes or ironing my clothes or... I don't know, packing my lunch bag or whatever for school. Does your, do you give your mum a participation trophy for just saying, thanks for helping me today? Life doesn't work that way. We need to educate our kids. We need to educate ourselves. And we need to encourage our friends and our family to educate themselves. i got to take a quick break, America. I'll be right back with some of the words that I feel have destroyed America. I hope you'll stick with me. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) 
Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. This is really difficult for Hillary. Hillary and Bill, they are in a situation they are not used to. See, they used to automatically get a pass from these progressive groups that are based on race, things like Black Lives Matter. They were already the candidates because they were the extremists. Now somebody has out-extremed them, and they got to get in there and fight for their vote. I mean, this is a perfect spectacle of what America has become. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for sticking with me, America. I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple. Send me a tweet. Let me know where you disagree with me, if you had some feedback, or if you think I missed something in the, the first segment or the rest of the show. I try my best to engage with everyone who sends me a message or a comment. I truly appreciate from the bottom of my heart if you take the time out to engage with me and I do my best to reply. For the rest of this show, I'm going to talk about different words. And if you've heard me speak before, um, I spoke on Glenn's show, this is kind of how I got this gig. The first word, it won't shock you, is the middle class. This is a word I reject to my core for many reasons. And I want to go down, delve into it. And tell you why I disagree with it. And I'm going to make a plea to you today to try and stop using this word. Because it's overcome in your society. I see everyone from Bernie Sanders to Mitt Romney to Mike Lee and Ted Cruz. Two men I admire. Use this word. It's used all the time in the media. But no one actually seems to step back and actually ask what it means. Because what does the middle class mean? I'd ask you to think about that. What Do you consider yourself middle class? And what does it mean? How does someone become middle class? What's the criteria? To me, it always seems very loose. First and foremost, we must understand the history of where the middle class came from. It's straight out of the Marxist playbook and the Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx spoke about three types of people. He spoke about the bourgeoisie, which is the capitalist, the business owner, you know, the millionaires and billionaires. The proletarius, which was the working class, or what you'd call the middle class today. And then the lumpen proletariat, which was pretty much everyone else here. The handicapped, the infirm, the degenerates of society, the criminals, basically anybody who didn't own land or wasn't a worker. So let me give you two people. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine two different people. One is, let's say, 30 years of age, is single, lives in a metropolitan area like New York or Boston or California. They're an atheist. They go out drinking and partying several times a week. They're living a good life. Sure, a different party or two, maybe once or twice a month. They like the, you know... Uh, some to smoke a bit of weed or do a few other drugs they believe in issues like climate change they talk about abortion as a woman's right they believe in gun control and that person is a legal secretary and they earn about seventy five to eighty thousand dollars a year now think of another person another plant person b 
This person is in their early 30s. Unlike person A, they live in a rural town in the Midwest somewhere. They're married and have two kids. They always go to church, not only on the weekends, but they go to Bible study class during the week. The kids are active in the community and they, they go and serve Mass or do different things in the church. They rarely go out. Um, they would have functions in their house, but they wouldn't be going out on the nightlife or drinking every week. They don't do drugs, never have, very clean-cut people. The kids, they homeschool their kids. And all the kids and the parents are members of the NRA. This person works in agriculture, maybe as a farmer or a wheat producer or ethanol. And as a family, they combine household earnings are about €55,000 per year. Sorry, $55,000, I apologise. Both of those today will be considered middle class. What have they got in common? Both of them would be middle class. Their common denominator is they earn around roughly the same amount of money. Person A earns a bit more, but they have higher rent and higher expenses living in the city. So why would you belong to a class system when it's purely based on income? Then the second thing you have to remember is that the income of the middle class, quote unquote, is always fluctuating. Look at the, how, the term millionaire and billionaire and how that's changed. Now, if I said to anyone down the street, hey, I'm a millionaire, what does that mean? Well, most people would say, well, you have a million dollars somewhere. Not in political terms. That changed. And it's changed under Barack Obama. A millionaire and a billionaire is now someone who earns over a quarter of a million, $250,000. And it's also changed in Maryland, the great state of Maryland, where if you earn $100,000, you're now a millionaire and a billionaire. Congratulations, you have made it. So we have to understand that this class system is nothing more than let's just put people in boxes according to their income. But what does the middle class do? What do they say? Well, if you look at the middle class the way Karl Marx spoke about it, he ended his commun communist manifesto with working men of the world unite. Look at how politicians speak about the middle class today. They always talk about, well, the success to America's future is a strong, healthy, vibrant middle class. It's always ironic, <clears throat> just on a side point. You know the, the Democrats on, on their platform, they always talk about, well, we're for the little guy and we'll stand up and we'll be a voice for the people who haven't got voices and blah, 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 more communist manifesto. They very rarely speak about the poor, but they always speak about the middle class. That's just always something I always found funny about the Democrats. But you look at them, everyone focuses on the middle class. I spoke last week, and if you didn't listen, please consider checking out the first few minutes of the show last week where I broke down the revolutions. The Irish Revolution, the French Revolution, and the American Revolution. And I strongly encourage you to follow the principles of the American Revolution.
But this is brotherhood. This isn't about freedom. This is about brotherhood. Oh, well, we earn 55,000 and you earn 75,000. Even though we don't agree on the issues, you're my middle class buddy. We're both middle class. So why has what I say a statement that this has destroyed America? Now let me explain. Firstly, it's a simple thing. All men are created equal. Do you believe that? Is that a principle you can agree with? All are created equal. Or is it a case of, well, you know, I'm middle class and I'm happy. I'm not quite rich or upper class, but I'm not lower class either. You know, we all have different classes. You know, We're different, John. Or are we all created equal? If you're a Christian, when you go to heaven, do you believe in it that God is going to have some type of class system? Where he's going to care more about, well, what class were you in? Were you a middle class? Or what you did as a job? Or, you know, what your education was? Or is he going to ask you, what did you do in life? How did you make a difference? So it goes against the tenets of your Declaration of Independence and your Constitution. If you believe in equality and all men are created equal, quite simply, you can't believe in a class system. But secondly, it's killed or helped kill the American dream. I'd ask you to think about how we look at people in society today. And it's becoming more and more ingrained as I see it. You know, we hate the bourgeoisie. We hate rich people. We're now in a culture where not only do we have, oh, you're a millionaire and billionaire, we hate you. Get them. You have movements like Occupy Wall Street where they bang on drums and they proudly say, I hate capitalism. While they're on their iPhones. But that's a side point. We now have your president saying, you didn't build that. A clear message for all to see that says, don't be a business owner. Don't be a bourgeoisie. We hate you. But it's become so hateful in your culture that anytime you see a rich person, you always have it in the back of your mind. Did they get there legally or illegally? You get you have this question of who did they pay off? Because here's the truth. The vast majority of both parties in your system don't believe in the free market. You have the Democrats, the left, the progressives, as you would call them, using your terminology, who believe in government and you know paying off your friends. But the Republicans are just as bad. They believe in cronyism just as much. They just believe it, go, it should go through the private sector, not government. This Republican Party is in bed with the Chamber of Commerce. So now the, the lines of the free market are so diluted that you look at a business owner and you go, did you lobby someone to get that tariff put on or why are you rich? We don't celebrate success anymore.
Like name one business person. The only business person I can think of in my lifetime that was been truly put on a pedestal. And he wasn't even put on a pedestal. Was Steve Jobs. People who have changed our society. And I don't care about their political beliefs, whether they're Republican or Democrat. I don't really care. But that we say, there, look at, let's take Steve Jobs. Look at the iPad. I've always marveled at technology. Technology is wonderful. You know, the simple fact is, just to show you how much technology has improved, seven years ago, chances are I wouldn't be able to do this podcast. Seven years ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to do half of the stuff I do today. And I do it from three and a half thousand miles away. Just think about that for a minute. People like that should be celebrated. Look at Skype. I don't know who created Skype and I don't care. But the technology that says I can make a phone call three and a half thousand miles away to America and I can see you and I can interact with you live. That's incredible. That should be celebrated. But we don't. Because we hate people who are successful. But what does what was America built on? America was built on American exceptionalism. It was built on the premise that said, you can do anything. We're, you're a free person. Your founders and early settlers escaped religious tyranny. But they also escaped the class system that stamped you from birth that said you're middle class you can't do anything boom you're a worker or if you came from a rich family you're a higher class stamp boom you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever other profession that was noble back then it was pretty much decided from birth do you know one of the earliest economic lessons I got that I still remember to this day and it horrifies me that this was one of the first ones and the one I remember most and it's a simple saying but it's an economic lesson it's not what you know it's who you know just think about what that means and you get to see what utopian statism is like your country was built on freedom built to harvest the individual Everything from the expansion out west to building skyscrapers to going to the moon. It used to be a great country where you even had it on your Statue of Liberty. You still do. How many people actually know what's on the Statue of Liberty today? And what it means? We sure some might quote it. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. What does that mean? I know people in La Raza think it means oh, if you're Mexican, that's who you're talking about. You know, you're tired, you're weak, and you're huddled masses and come across the border illegally. It doesn't. The history of that by Emma Lazarus. She's the lady who wrote it. It was a sign to the rest of the world. That Statue of Liberty with the rule of law in one hand and that beacon of light in the other hand that said this is America and as all them 
the people who came over to your country on those boats I can only imagine the feeling of relief as they saw that statue knowing that where I came from didn't matter what colour I was didn't matter what my religion was what class I was America you have harnessed the individual more than any other country in the world and look at the results you've contributed more to society in 200 plus years than the collection or any set of nations in any other period of time that's not because of government or because a certain person was president it was because of your people it was because of individuals knowing that I can change the world people who say I can make a difference people who say yeah that horse and cart is great but I'm going to top that I'm going to make a car and then people who saw the person who made the car and went I can top that I can make it faster I can make it smaller I can make it cheaper this is all down to the individual but today what's America's dream the American dream it seems to be well I don't want to be poor I don't want to be in the lump of proletariat or the lower class or on food stamps but I don't want to be a bourgeoisie capitalist either I just want to be average I just want to be middle class middle class Joe I don't want to change the world don't want to be rich definitely don't want to be a leader I want to be a follower I want to leave all the big decisions up to someone else because I know we hate the rich we hate the powerful we always hate the man because they take advantage of other people and they're only successful because of they've taken and stolen from other people we seek to bring these people down so we want to be safe we want to be part of the collective is that the America and the American dream you want to be part of is it sure not the America or the American dream I want to move to one day and belong to? America, the choice you have is very crystal clear. You can continue being a follower, part of the collective, part of the group think that thinks the same things over and over again. You can think you can't make a difference you can choose the safe path and not challenge the status quo just accept what you're told to accept like a good little person you can belong to the collective and you can continue your long fall from grace into mediocrity and following the rest of the world towards utopian statism because the rest of the world is a testimony how great it works, right? Or you can choose a different path. You can wake up. You can forget this class system crap. Forget about, oh, I just want to be average and middle of the roads. No. 
you can puff your chest out and say I did build that and I can make a difference my history proves it and I am going to take inspiration from the past and not let it define me but inspire me that I can make a difference in the future it is that simple these might sound like little things but freedom is still a radical thought for the rest of the world you can make a difference it just takes that little spark to ignite the fire of freedom I gotta take a quick break America I hope you'll stick with me you're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network And you say to yourself, wow, there's literally no drawback to immigration. There's no number that's too much. There's no number that's too many. So why not just have open borders? Oh, that's right. That's really what they want. That's what they think the answer is. But don't call it open borders because the American people go, wow, we don't have a country anymore. We just are sort of, a, as I've said, a rest stop, a workstation for people that want to come here, go, stay, whatever. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much for sticking with me, America. I want to move on to another word or set of words that really annoy me because they go against your values. And let me explain why. Those words, if, if you look at the media and look at politicians and how they describe themselves, look at the folks who always are deemed right are always deemed you know they're they're on the right side now if you look at the way they look at the political spectrum in the media you know you have you know the extremists on both sides both left and right but you know the folks in the middle the, the moderates the centrists they're always the best people why It always makes me... First of all, let's just break this down. Because, you know, saying someone is a moderate and a centrist... I'm sure someone some at some point in time poll-tested these words... And they were words that went down well with the American people... Or something along those lines. Because they've been used for a reason. But the first thing I always think of is... When someone says, oh, I'm a moderate. I'm in the middle. I'm a centrist. I kind of go, okay, so what's your opinion? What are your issues? Because you saying you're a moderate or a centrist means absolutely nothing. You could might as well tell me I was born in China because I clearly have absolutely no opinion of what what you stand for. Or if you stand for anything. And if you dare disagree with a moderate or a centrist, you're an ideologue. You're an extremist. You're a hater. One thing we have to understand is positions change. 
And I just simply ask you this question, and it's just, I use him because I admire him and he encourages me an awful lot. But think back to the time of Ronald Reagan. Ask yourself, what did these folks stand for then? You know, the moderate, the centrist, the the people who are in the middle, the independents, quote-unquote. What did they stand for then? And what do they stand for today? Are they the same policies and principles? Or is that dime always shifting? Or even maybe that's too far back for some. That's 30 years ago, John. Okay. Go back to 2000. Two presidents ago. The day George Bush was inaugurated. Was what a moderate and a centrist or a person in the middle? Was it anything similar to what it is today? Or what the media would believe it is today? I contend it's not. That lever is always moving. And while some want to talk to you about phony words, well, I'm a moderate and I'm a centrist, I'd prefer to talk about principles. Tell me where you stand. Because in today's world, I have no problem admitting I'm an extremist. I am an absolute all-out extremist. I am extreme for life. To me there isn't any moderate or centrist or middle ground on life. This isn't Sophie's choice where you go, well you can live and you die. And I'm a moderate because I'm in the middle. Or how about freedom? Because I'm an extremist on freedom. I believe in freedom. I believe in promoting maximum freedom and maximum responsibility. It's a tagline on my website, freedomsdisciple.com, for a reason. Because I believe in maximum freedom. But I don't think you can have real freedom without real responsibility. So what's the moderate position on freedom? Well, I'm, I'm for that, but not so much for that. What's the moderate centrist position on gun control or on guns on the Second Amendment? Because again, I'm an extremist on that. I'm very pro-Second Amendment. Because I believe you have a right to defend yourself. I believe it empowers more people that I'm supposed to hate. Than I know of. I'm supposed to hate black people. Well, can you imagine if some of those innocent black folks in Chicago had the right to a gun? They might be dead right now. I'm supposed to hate women. Well, imagine a woman with a gun. That's an empowered woman. But again, I'm supposed to hate her. So what's the moderate centrist position on guns? Or how about the moderate position on free speech? Am I entitled as a free person to say what I want, when I want, and how I want? Or is there a position that's moderate? Well, John, you're allowed to say what you want, when you want, how you want, as long as it abides by, you know, the politically correct rules and the politically correct climate. So I I don't know if we ban, like, I don't know, Dukes of Hazard. You can't use that word, but you still have free speech. Are these people you admire? Or are these people who are weak, spineless, and need to be encouraged. 
I don't see a moderate centrist independent quote-unquote position on life I'm sorry I don't I don't see it on freedom I don't see it on the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Oh, there's another one, freedom of religion. What's the moderate position on that? Well, you can be a Catholic, just not a Protestant. Hmm. No, I'm an extremist. If you're a Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Evangelical, Jewish, even a Muslim, I don't care. I go with Scripture, you shall know them by their fruits. In fact, you can call me an extremist because I support pretty much every amendment in the Constitution. With the exception of prohibition, but that was also dealt with, with your Constitution. What about the pursuit of happiness? What's the moderate position there? You can be happy some of the time. You know, this week, guess what? You get to be happy, but next week, got bad news for you folks. You got to be sad. Because I'm a moderate, I'm a centrist, you know, I, I do things in moderation. Does life work that way? How about, here's a controversial one. I put it up on my Twitter this week. I support the fair tax. Here's a, here's a principle. You keep the money you earn. Again, I'm extremist on that. So I'm sorry, it's your money, you earned it. If you went out and swept streets, good for you. Whatever you got, you earned. If you brought bottles back to a bottle bin and you earn 25 cent a bottle, you keep it. If you're in a bank... And you sold X amount of pensions or mortgages or home loans and you earn X amount of money. I don't care whether it's a thousand dollars or a million dollars. You get to keep the money you earn. I'm an extremist on that. I'm sorry to tell people. But what's the moderate position? Well, we have a progressive tax code. And for the first $25,000, John, you pay no tax. And for the next 100000 you pay it 10%. And for the next million, you pay whatever. No, I prefer to have principles. I prefer to say, no, you keep the money you earn. These are th ideas that we need to fight. This idea that, well, I'm a moderate or I'm a centrist, I find ludicrous. Because I'm happily an extremist on those issues. Because an extremist isn't always the worst thing. Some may call it an extremist, I call it passion. I stand for these principles. I will die by these principles. You know, words that have been meaning an awful lot to me. I've had a few moments, I don't know if you've heard them on air or not, but I had a moment last week where I got emotional. And words that just won't leave me right now are give me liberty or give me death. I won't live on my knees. I refuse to. I've lived my whole life under tyranny. I'm seeking to be free. To be a free person. And I'll be damned. Just because some word like moderate or centrist was pole tested. I went, ooh, that, that strikes a good emotion with people. No, I don't care. I'm going to stand for principles. And if you want to judge me because I'm extreme, quote-unquote, in those issues, well, then you go ahead and judge me. I'm going to make a stand. Because it's time to stop worrying about popularity. And being popular and, and doing the thing that makes you feel good. And start doing the thing that makes, you f makes it right.
It's time to stop arguing over politics and policies. I'm sick and tired of the debate on things like Obamacare, when the topic should be the principle of healthcare. I'm going to stand for what I believe in right. Because it's time. And I might not make a difference. Or I might. And that brings me to my next word. The difference of America and the rest of the world. And it's a word that people don't like when it's used. And that word is failure. The difference between America and the rest of the world is you're allowed to fail. Failing isn't always a bad thing. I spoke last week or a couple of weeks ago about the naysayers and I gave the example of Henry Ford. Do you think Henry Ford would be the man he was if he had succeeded at the first time? You have to work at things. But at least in America you have the opportunity to fail. In a lot of other countries you don't. You, your future is laid out for you by the circumstances of your birth, by the place you were born, by the family you were born into, by the education you will probably receive. None of that used to matter in America. I'm not sure if it's still that way, but I hope it is. And if it's not, I hope it goes back to that way. You have a right to fail. Failing isn't a bad thing. What's bad is failing and learning absolutely nothing from it. You know, going back to the sports analogy, life isn't supposed to be easy. If everyone could throw a hundred mile an hour fastball and locate it on the corner of the plate, everyone would do it. What would be the point of that? If everyone could hit home runs at any time they wanted, 500 feet, and come up clutch every opportunity you got, everyone would do it. There'd be no, nothing special about it. I wouldn't be watching you know, my beloved New York Yankees at the weekend and every chance I get, knowing, well, everyone can throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And seeing this kid come up, Luis Severino, and be excited by him. You know, I heard a saying one time, and I love it, by an ex-Yankee, Nick Swisher. He said, you know, baseball's great. It's the only thing I know I can fail seven out of ten times and still be a Hall of Famer. I think that's a great, great attitude to have. And it's a saying that, another one of my sayings that always stuck with me. I can fail seven out of ten times and still be a Hall of Famer. Think about that for a moment. Failing isn't always a good thing. You look at a, bet, a hitter who hits 300. He knows for every three hits he's going to get, he's going to fail seven times. Should we give, the, every time he strikes out or makes an out, should we give him a participation trophy? Should we pat him on the back? Or is it baseball like life, a learning experience, that for every time he fails, you adjust, you learn, you improve. That's what life is all about. Failing isn't the bad thing. It's failing and learning absolutely nothing from it and not becoming a better person. That's the real travesty in my eyes. I gotta take one more last quick break, America. 
I'll hope you stick with me for the last segment because I'm going to talk about a word that I hate and that's democracy. I'll be right back, America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stew. The cost was estimated somewhere between $600 billion and $1.2 trillion. And you know we'll go over budget. Oh, you know. <laughs> That'd be like $97 no trillion. <laughs> In 800 stories, who's going to buy all that space? Does Japan really need an 800-story building? I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt anybody does. No. You know who gets that done? Donald Trump. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. versus freebies this is freedom's disciple with jonathan dunn on the blaze radio network thanks for sticking with me america i am on twitter at freedom disciple i'm sure some of the the issues i've discussed today and some of the words might have raised some questions with you or some strong emotions i hope so anyway um let me know give me a tweet at freedom disciple tell me if you agree if you disagree or if you've got a further point that you think I should have made. I want to finish off the moderate centrist with one final thought. And I don't want to get political. But I would ask you just to look, and let's just focus on the Republican Party. Look at how they nominate candidates. They go with this moderate centrist. And just look at it on the principles Let's just take one, free speech. Surely, if you're a party and you share a set of principles, you should be looking to nominate people who closely represent those. So, in Texas, well, that's a red conservative state. You know, you want to elect a conservative who's very, quote-unquote, extreme on freedom of speech. But, in Blue, New Jersey we nominate a weak, mushy, loud mouth who's iffy on freedom of speech not naming any names but just in general surely if you believe in freedom of speech or whatever principle you want to debate on you don't weaken your argument by having well if it's in red conservative Texas we have one opinion if it's in purple Colorado we have another answer. And if it's in blue New Jersey, New York, because a conservative could never win there, you have another answer. How about we stop playing politics and start talking principles? Maybe that's one of the reasons why the Republican Party and politics always seem to lose. That The answer depends on where you're based or who you're talking to. Maybe that would be one way. I forget the party operatives, but the people, the people on the ground. Maybe if we stopped, people stopped thinking who could win and start thinking about people who espouse the best principles, America would be a better place. But that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. 
The last word is a word that I it upsets me when I see, and an awful lot of upsets me, by the way, um, because I want to change things. I am not ashamed to say I actually want to change the world. Um, I'm, and I, I might fail. I'm launching this podcast, and I'm sure people have thought, well, who cares, John? You'll fail. Maybe I might fail, but I'm going to give it my best shot. I appreciate anybody who checks it out. I'm going to do everything I can to serve your nation. I might fail, but there's also a chance I might succeed. And if I succeed, it won't be because of me. It'll be because of anybody who checks me out, who listens to what I have to say, and who spreads the word. But also, I don't win. My winning is your country winning, your people winning, God winning. If I win, it isn't because of me. I don't get any glory. Glory goes to God and to your people and to your nation. But onto your nation. How many people today actually understand that America is a republic and not a democracy? I think democracy is is a horrible word. Excuse me, I just sighed. It's a word that I hear so many people in America, in Ireland, in Europe, in the Middle East, striving for this democracy. Democracy is a great thing. You have presidents who go, what we have is a democracy project. And the success of this democracy project will bring stability to the Middle East. Democracy, it, it's, it's like every time you say democracy, you have this warm feeling inside going, oh yes, that's something we should strive for. No, not really. Because, to quote your president, and I actually will quote him this time, you can put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Um, that's about the only time I'll quote Obama, by the way. Um, democracy. You can put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Democracy might give you... It's obviously another sound-tested word. It's polls positively with people. But democracy is not something anyone should aspire to. Excuse me. Because what is democracy? Democracy is man's law. Democracy is a popularity contest. Democracy goes with the wind. Democracy can be bought. I always say this, and people don't like me using this example, but I use it for a reason. If you ran, if you lived in a true democracy, and let's just pick a country, I don't know, Ireland, and said, I want to form a new political party. And I don't care about economics, don't care about rights, I don't care about principles, don't care about anything. I have one issue. I believe everything that's wrong with Ireland, and in term Europe, and in term the world, is the Jewish fault. It's the Jews' fault. They own the banking, they own the media, they own blah de blah de blah And I'm going to run as a politician, and I'm going to kill every Jew. No trial, no nothing, bang. Or since we spoke about revolutions last week, we'll use the French Revolution. Guillotine. Any Jew I see, I'm going to guillotine him. On site. And you ran 
that was your platform in a democracy and you won what's to stop you if that was a populist movement in a democracy what's to stop you democracy is overrated democracy is not something to aspire for the only people the only people I would give a pass to and this is just my opinion not fact of something demo you should aspire for some type of democracy is if you like are in Cuba or Venezuela or Somalia where you've no government or a dictator and you aspire for a democracy fine I'm not going to argue with you I can't imagine what it would like to be like to live in some of those countries or like Somalia where there's no government really so I can get that point I'll concede that point but as a greater good I think it's time a lot of people came together and had the Republic Project based on individual rights you can decide what your rights are but that there is certain things enshrined that you say no these are off limits we can have a system of government but these things you can't touch these things are off limits they're enshrined in your constitution like your bill of rights the other reason democracy is so overrated it's because of what happened in America where you used to be a republic I remember get a, I got asked a question in a, an American studies class when did America become a democracy and one of the options we discussed at length was when the people, the senators were directly elected the constitutional amendment and that was consi considered by so many a great thing I think it's a horrible idea I believe in different checks and balances. I believe in the Republican form of government. Not the Republican Party, the Republic. Where you have checks and balances. And that you have levers that you can recall senators. And that you have little instruments within inside the Constitution to be used, not on an everyday basis, not on a whim, but when serious problems occur. It's about holding people accountable. I hope if I had more time I would spend more time in this and maybe I'll come back to this one day. But it's something America needs to understand. You are not a democracy. You are a republic and that is something to be proud of. And not only are you a republic, you're a constitutional republic. And in my opinion, that is the highest aspiration for government that you can have. Constitutional Republic. Where rights come from God, not from government. And that the Constitution is not a right of government giving people rights. It's of a government acknowledging that certain things don't come from them. Or that they don't have control over certain things that there are parts of our lives that are off limits that we do have a right to free speech we do have a right to freedom of religion freedom of conscience freedom of association freedom for peaceful assembly freedom to bear arms the right not to self-incriminate themselves the right not to have peop uh, military men put in your home 
we have these rights. Now you can debate which ones are good and which ones are bad. That's fine, we can have that debate. But surely that is the aim. That is the highest aspiration that we can put forward to the world. A new set of government. I want to finish up today's show. I apologize, I've gone a few minutes over. But as you might have heard, next weekend, A28, Birmingham, Alabama, Glenn Beck is having a movement, is starting a movement. And I hope you check it out. Never again is now. I firmly believe people can change this world. Each and every person listening to this has the power to make a huge, huge difference. I remember growing up reading scriptures and one thing I could never get away with was I always used to ask, why did Jesus always say the kids will inherit the kingdom of God? The kids, the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids. There are many reasons I've come up with this, and but I want to share one with you today. I think it's because kids don't put a limitation on themselves. When you're a kid, everything's possible. Just think of when you were a kid. I'm sure if you were like me, or like a lot of kids I grew up, but anyway, maybe there's a cultural difference. When we were kids, we had dreams. I remember one of my earliest dreams... I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And I really wanted to be one. And then I remember getting told I'm half blind I've only got half sight in my left eye and you need twenty twenty vision for that and been devastated. I had many dreams when I was a kid. I had many jobs I wanted. But when you're a kid, you don't think of the reality of life or the practicalities are the what-ifs or the, the middle class that's just strive to be average. Life hasn't beaten you down yet. You still think anything is possible. I'm sure many kids here, I was a huge tar- Star Trek fan. The idea of going to space, how incredible is that? But when you're a kid, you don't think of, well... I'll never be able to afford to go to space or I'll never be smart enough or you'll never be anything. All the the naysayers, all the reasons why you can't do things. You just focused on that little dream. And sure, the dream probably was changed a week or two weeks or three weeks or four or even a year later as you grew up and you learned more and you wanted to do different things. But you still had a dream. I think we need to get back to that. I think we need to get back to stop living in our little lives thinking of the limitations we have striving to be part of the middle class and to be average I don't know one ball player who says if I could just get to the major leagues and hit 250 I'll have achieved my dream we all want to be superstars and not all of us will be superstars But we can change the world. We can change the world. We can be that little rock. That creates that ripple. 
And sometimes we never see that ripple or never even knew it existed, but we continue on in our lives. I believe this movement, Never Again Is Now, is a movement that is important. And it's not about people, it's about principles. If we can't come together and say, all lives matter, and never again is now, and that we stand for our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East, we stand for our Jewish brothers and sisters in Israel over Iran, we stand for the unborn over Planned Parenthood. If we can't stand for life, what can we stand for? All these other socialist discussions and words like the middle class are irrelevant. If we can't agree on one simple thing that all lives matter. I ask you, I encourage you, be the difference. It doesn't have to be something huge. It can be something small like helping a neighbour, helping a friend, reaching out to someone in need. Or if it's your case and you can go and go to Birmingham, Alabama next weekend. Go be part of something special. I would if I could. And educate yourselves. Because I think it's time we start dreaming. And we start dreaming of a better world. I'm not laying down my sword, America. I'm picking it up and raising it even higher. I don't know what difference I can make. Only God knows that. But I'm going to die trying to be a force for good in this world. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please, like always, share with a friend this podcast if you like it. But share, more importantly, why you love America. America is good because your people are great. Thank you so much. I salute you. I salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and most importantly, your vets. Thank you so much for fighting for everything I speak about. God bless you, and God bless everyone in America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Ow.